Hello and welcome back to the Wheel Talk podcast. My name is Abby Mickey and I'm joined today on this beautiful Monday by Lauren Rowney. Hello, hello. And Matt Deneef. Hello, good to be back. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, you had a vacation. You were on vacation, taking some rest away from us. Oh, yeah. I don't know yeah, why you'd want to you- do that, but... You guys just tie me out so much. I just needed a week away, you know. No, we just had a, a family holiday up on the Gold Coast here in Australia and sat around on the beach in the warm weather and uh, it was lovely. Didn't do much at all. It was exactly what we needed and I've come back feeling nice and refreshed and, yeah, ready to get stuck into it. I just love that vacationing in winter in Australia means, like, going to the beach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's wild. Like it's down in Melbourne at the moment where I am. It's it's starting to get nice now, but it's been pretty miserable. Uh, but going up to the Gold Coast is yeah, twenty five degrees and warm and sunny. Putting sunscreen on and yeah, it's just nuts. just a world away, really. So yeah, my dad very much like. Durable. So I'm from the Gold Coast. For people who don't know this, and for some reason, my dad loves to send me weather forecasts, and it's like <laughs> something you just don't do when someone is living in a country like Belgium he's like oh yeah look at the weekly forecast this week I'm like just stop it (laughs) my dad does that too is that a dad thing Matt is that a dad thing you're a dad Uh, I think so I think I probably have a fascination with the weather will you be sending Luca like weather updates whenever like you're from Melbourne goes to college so you have an obsession with the weather like I do because Melbourne is a bit like Belgium actually sometimes yeah yeah it's a bit weird the weather here and I think it's a kind of city-wide obsession with weather forecasts and <laughs> it's like the only topic of conversation when you have small talk with people is oh weird day today with the weather or whatever so and on that note that's a good segue actually to the tour of Scandinavia or just oh, yeah. cycling in general this week I can't wait to get to things that I'm obsessed with because I love it when conversations come full circle so <laughs> just for <laughs> something for everyone to look forward to a little bit Let's chat about the tour of Scandinavia. Before we dive in, this episode is brought to you by the members of the Escape Collective. If you've ever thought about becoming a member, head on over to escapecollective.com slash join and join up. We got awesome content on the website, tons of great podcasts and special stuff. If you're a member, you can join the Discord, which is super fun. And yeah, join us. Join us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's escapecollective.com slash join. And let's talk about the tour of Scandinavia. There are a lot of talking points. What should we start with? I think Matt got the the peak of the week, right? Did you go for Anamik? Who was it? Or no, Abby? not me. Uh, Abby beat you to the punch. Did she? Who picked Sela? Here, I can I can actually pull up the preview and tell it and tell you who we picked because for those of you who don't know what we're talking about for most of the big races I write a preview on escape collective and they're very in-depth there's almost too much information in there but one of the things that you can find is wheel talk podcast picks so here we had Grace Yelvin with Cecily Utrecht Ludwig I picked on nice good pick for me Matt picked <laughs> Ricardo Bauerfeind and yeah you picked Ashley Moomin and then we had Lorraine, Lorena Wiebus for a stage win from Gracie Emma Norsgaard for a stage win for me that may have been a little bit with the heart. Matt Denise, Grace Brown, stage win on stage four. I mean, nice. that was low hanging fruit. Yeah. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and Lauren with Lizzie Dagden with a stage win, which honestly, like, not a bad pick. She 
was riding pre- pretty well. So we all picked decently okay. I was surprised actually that Ash wasn't riding better, but we'll we'll dive into it. I think we should I think we should maybe start with some of the bigger talking points, one of which is that this was Annemiek Van Vluten's penultimate race and mm. she won it by the skin of her teeth. Like mm-hmm. literally two seconds. <laughs> she won mm. it by two seconds. Almost by accident as well. I think like not that you can ever win a bike race by accident, but um, her teammate, Sarah Gigante, who I'm sure we'll talk about, um, she posted on Instagram that Annemiek wasn't going for GC at the race. Uh, which is kind of funny to me that she wouldn't, but uh, to kind of find yourself in that position with a strong TT, she never she didn't win a stage, but she found herself in the lead and then was able to defend it. And she didn't do anything spectacular for the week. I didn't think she was just there and consistent and just good. And that was enough. And as you said, Abby, she just managed to hang on. That The last few Ks of the final stage and the pouring rain there with Celia up the road were, were pretty spectacular. The fact that she didn't win a stage and yet she still won the overall, I think, for Annemiek, that's so out of the norm. And yet she's done it twice this year. Mm. Um, obviously, the Vuelta was a bit a bit bigger than the Tour of Scandinavia like in terms of competition there. But I still think with the form that Sile was on, that it was it was always going to come down to the TT. But I, and I didn't expect the fight on the final today day to be quite so close, I guess, because I expected there to be a larger margin between the two after stage four, to be honest. I mean, like based on time trial results this year, I mean, Anmeek isn't time trialing like we've known it to time trial, but to have, I mean, I don't want to jump around, but the time trial day, I, I'm looking forward to talking about that because there were some standout performances and something that Grace has spoken before about is the margins in time trials. I think it was a 20-minute time trial in total. Um, and, you know, Anamite coming in third by, I don't know, 13 seconds down on Grace or so, 13 or 19 seconds down, and then the margins between her and fourth and fifth were pretty close. So I feel like for the riders that were there, um, contesting Annemiek van Vluden's is it her final tour or has she got another tour coming up? She's going to finish off with the CMAC ladies tour. Okay. But to go like head to head with her would be a pretty cool thing, right? It, particularly if you're a young rider and you've been following Annemiek's career and, you know, over the years, just her sheer dominance in the sport and then being able to get one up on her, getting close to her must feel pretty good, even though we know she's coming to the end of her career. And I think, She's really accepting that idea now and just trying to have fun and enjoy it. At least that's how it appears, appears on social media. And like you said, Matt, I actually thought it would have been for Leanna Lippert this tour, but, you know, the cards fell the, the way they did and Anamik was there. And unfortunately, I think for, for Sile, the time trial is always something that lets her down a little bit. And it was a short time trial, but it was enough of a de- deficit that she couldn't just quite get that margin on her. And I do wonder with the mountaintop finish, um, if there could have been more time made there or, you know, your thoughts on that racing. Do you think she raced conservatively on the mountain stage or? Yeah, let's, um, let's jump back a little bit. So maybe we go stage by stage a tiny bit. The first stage, there's not like a ton to talk about. 
another Lorena Weebus victory. She's up to 70 now after she won the third stage as well. But um, one of the major talking points on that stage was Sile and her late race attack that almost ended with a stage victory. And she came just so, so, so close and really just got caught because if Weebus sees a finish line, she's going to sprint. <laughs> um, so it was only Weebus and Elisa Balsamo, which so awesome to see her kind of back up in the top in the top end of the race after her crash in ride london and sile i think from the get-go she was showing incredible form already in that first stage so come the second stage the mountaintop finish or kind of like mountain plateau finish (laughs) yeah (laughs) it it was no surprise to see her up there riding so well on that stage and i think that her form that on that climb, it would have been hard, hard for her, even on the form that she's on, to try to get more time. It just wasn't that hard of a climb. Like, it's like 9K long, but then it plateaued out to the finish and kind of dipped and rolled a little bit. So there was tons of time for riders to get back on. We had Sile and um, Van Vluten up the road at one point, and then they were caught by Kim Kadzow and Greta Martirano of Phoenix to Kunik. We're just going to call her Greta from now on. So Greta and, and Kim Kadzo caught the two of them and the four of them came to the line together. It was an incredible performance by Kim Kadzo and I can't wait to hear more about her from, from Matt Denise, who's probably got some info up his sleeve. But Sile took the win following up on the same, she won the same stage last year, but from a different direction. And I think from that direction, the climb suited more of more time gaps going Mm -hmm. into the rest of the race. But I think this direction that they hit that climb, there just wasn't enough climb to try to get more time. And even so it's on a meek. So I think it was, it was going to be a really hard win for her to take, but she still rode so well on the second stage, the first stage and the second stage and the last stage to win that, that mountaintop stage. Yeah, and I think that uh, it was a nice little storyline that it gave us with uh, Sile missing out on the first stage um, on her birthday as well. And then the kind of vindication of the second day of, yeah, sparking that move that uh, that got away on the climb and then being there in the group of four and then overhauling Van Vluten in the sprint to win the stage on the same stage that she won uh, the previous year. So, yeah, nice, nice little storyline there. And I, I just... I just had a note about Sile. I think, you know, she obviously hasn't had the best season of her career and it's been a frustrating one for her. But, gee, when she's in good form and in confident like in confident form and willing to attack, it's just – it's so good to watch. She's such an exciting rider compared to when she just sits back in the bunch. Like, when she's on the move – and she was attacking, what, three, three of the four road stages here and one, mm-hmm. two of them um, – yeah, just such a good thing for the race. Yeah, exactly. And for women's cycling, she's a really exciting rider, like you said, Matt, and she always lays it on the line when she does have the form and confidence. And it's so nice to see riders like that back it up at the end of the season. I mean, with the the bronze medal at the World Championships, she was just, her interview was fantastic after that. It was just like winning gold almost for her. Um and, you know, that's how I see Cassia Nuodoma as one of those exciting riders too who would just throw everything at it. And, you know, at, on that last stage, the chances of her taking the GC were so slim, but then when she pulled that last attack, it was just beautiful. So good to see her in good good form and spirits again and the camaraderie between um, 
her and her teammates was nice to watch too. Yeah, I like that comparison with Kasia too. I think to me, both of them are riders that are appealing to watch because they're not prolific winners. They're not mm-hmm. your Van Vlutens. They're not your Webuses who win a lot and you kind of get used to it. They're riders who have to fight so hard to get a win. And so when we see them on the attack, you kind of, you, you, you're supporting them, you're rooting for them, you're barracking for them. And um, yeah, to, to see that is great. And then to see Sile win and in a home race as well. Yeah, it was just very cool. I think um, just touching on Lorena there, I was having to think about it yesterday and I want your opinion on this, but would we say that, okay, Lorena is become, fast becoming the greatest female sprinter of all time in women's cycling, but the most diverse sprinter in terms of, I've been trying to rack my brain as to other sprinters who've had the climbing capacity that she has, like to win these super, super hard stages that normally you would think when we look at the men's peloton, it's not so much, but I don't want to compare the two. But for me, Lorena, I know Georgia Bronzini, there were times in her career that she could climb very well too, even, you know, Yoko Tudenberg, but at this capacity, I don't think so. Her win on stage three was incredible. Like, I feel like that for her, we pin- we pigeonhole her a lot into being a pure sprinter, but she's she's definitely not. And I think it's just, just goes to show what an incredible bike racer she is and how much she wants to win. Like, mm-hmm. I, we heard it said, over and over at the Tour de France Femme avec Zwift that like she just wants to win like she just wants to win bike races and I think that being the progression of her career she's always been a really good sprinter and I think now it would be impossible to say that she's not one of the best female sprinters that we've ever had just in the amount of wins that she's racked up in the last three years, even like, even if you just look back three years, that's where most of her wins have come. And she's at 70 now, but she's, she's also just developing as a rider. She's still really young. I think we forget how young she is because she's has so many wins under her belt and so many like high profile wins as well that she's still very much kind of, finding who she is on the on the road and what type of rider she is so I think while we would say okay she wins in the sprints a lot she's a sprinter she's so much more versatile than that and we saw that on the stage of the Giordana where she was second behind Van Vluten when Van Vluten was solo that she won on that that short poppy uh she was second on that short poppy climb but also her acceleration coming into that climb was just incredible and the same goes for this third stage where she said it wasn't so much a sprint as like a one minute effort mm-hmm. and yeah it's just amazing i mean it's crazy to me that she's not like on the track more actually with the power that she has i was just thinking that <laughs> when you were saying like one minute effort oh she'd be phenomenal but again yeah. she's a young rider so i feel like um, there's just some riders who can be almost chameleons in in their lifespan of a professional athlete because if she continues on for another 10 years, say, she could maybe Tour of Flanders is a huge goal for her, but she needs to maybe work on a little bit more of this and then take away a little bit from the sprint. I don't know, but... Even if she takes away 2% from her sprint, she's still the best mm-hmm. sprinter in the women's peloton by a mile. Just to put a 
a punctuation mark on on what you guys are saying. I had a look at some stats on um, <laughs> on Weavers as I as I like to do um, after your your race report, actually, Abby on Escape Collective about her reaching seventy wins, and just to see where that put her all time. Because uh, mm-hmm. as you said, she's young; she's only twenty four, so a lot of racing still ahead of her if she wants to. She's eleventh on the all time list already at seventy wins. There's only two active riders ahead of her with Van Vluten at 104 wins and Voss at the top with 248. Um, 248? She, 248. Uh, and, yeah, if Weber takes five more wins, she'll draw equal with Leontine Van Morsel uh, in 10th spot. So it's pretty incredible at 24. Um, who knows how much longer she'll race for, but she'll she'll get well up into the probably the top five of all time i'd say can we do does can anyone do rapid fire math how many wins would she have to take if she races for the next 10 years how many wins a year would she have to take to beat voss with wait matt a question for you does that include Hmm. cyclocross for voss or just road this is just on the road road just on the road good god sorry On the sprinter question uh lauren Mm -hmm. the only sprinters ahead of her on the list are um, that I can see. Georgia Bronzini with 94 mm-hmm. wins. Uh, Kirsten Vild with 109. Oh, of course. And then yeah. Ina Teutenberg with 149. 149 for Ina. Assuming we don't count Voss as a sprinter. No, she's <laughs> definitely not. She's not. Okay, so th- that math shouldn't be too hard. She needs 170 wins. 17 a year. 17 a year. For 10 years. That's totally doable for her. <laughs> It's completely doable. <laughs> um, I think we I could mean, go on so many tangents yeah. right now. Like when <laughs> a young rider is just so successful in such a short period of their career. Like it was kind of like she came on the scene. It was bam, this is Lorena Weber's. That they get to a point where by the time they're 29, 30, they're like, yep, yeah, I've done it all. Mm. I'm out. I've earned my money. I'm going to. Go do other things. I don't see her getting like burnt out on the sport at all anytime soon. She's just, she just loves it so much. You can see it in all of her interviews, how level headed she is. She's not, she's not overly emotional in any which direction. She's just kind of the way that she is, (laughs) but she also just has so much fun racing her bike. And you can tell like in the way that she races, the way that she moves, I just think it's, man, I'm just so excited to keep watching her win mm-hmm. 17 wins a year for the next 10 years. <laughs> Let's start start the campaign for it. <laughs> Vibus for goat. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> Boss forever. <laughs> Is that sacrilege? <laughs> um, okay. Can we, can we backtrack a little bit? Because, Matt, I want you to tell us who Kim Kadzow is. Uh, I'm going to love this because I did some reading myself this morning, only because uh, she stayed at my friend's B&B here in Belgium last year, and they told me about this writer and mm. who she was, and she was going to be really good. Um, she signed with Jumbo Visma because they saw her numbers and were like, whoa. Um, but Matt, you fill in the, the rest of the details. Oh, it sounds like you know more than I do. I, I just did some reading today because I'd obviously seen her around and, and that, but I was yeah very impressed with her over the last week and wanted to learn more. But yeah, she's a 21-year-old from New Zealand. She started as a triathlete, um, only really turned to cycling properly in 2021. Um, she won the New Zealand Under-23 Time Trial Championships that year. Um, race with the Continental team the following year where she got fifth in the Mont Ventoux one-day race. Um, 
uh, Cavalli, Koppenberg, Musique, and Royak as they head of her. So some some of the world's best climbers. Um, and then, yeah, I think she was on the move in Glasgow Worlds a few weeks ago. She was on the attack and the circuits mm-hmm. there. And then, yeah, she had a third on stage two here in Scandinavia. So, yeah, just 21, very new to the sport, great climber, um, huge future ahead of her. So a very exciting prospect for New Zealand cycling and for yeah, the sport in general, I guess. Keen to hear what, I you've, was, what you've heard. Oh, I was just... um. I was wondering why she didn't finish up higher on the GC because her results were so consistent through the week, but it was stage one, I believe, that let her down. Um, and I think that was probably just due to positioning on that stage. And like you said, Matt, she's very new to the sport. This is something that my friends um, mentioned to me when the, this very strong young Kiwi was staying with them was that the the thing that she was going to struggle with most um, was this transition to riding in a big peloton in Europe. Um, she's got the engine, she's got the capacity, but um, yeah, that's something we've spoken about before when you're coming to the sport a little bit later, not that she's too old, but still those skills need to be learned. It's, it's confidence, it's time, it's mentorship within the team, and it seems like uh, Jumbo Visma has plans with the, for her on the long term. They, like I mentioned, they signed her because her numbers were phenomenal, apparently. Um, and they see her as a future talent. So it was just great to see her getting her first World Tour podium. Um, and she had a decent time trial too, a top 10, mm. I believe. Yeah, eighth. Very good result. Yeah, let's let's talk about the time trial a little bit because that was obviously the kind of one of the pivotal stages when it came to the GC with Anamik getting some time on Cecily Ludwig and moving up into the, the leadership. Another awesome time trial by Grace Brown to take the stage. And she took it pretty, a pretty massive margin on such a short time trial, 19 seconds over Amber Crack, but still a really great ride by Amber as well. And massive shout out to Loretta Hansen for oh, yeah. an incredible ride to finish fourth on the day. And seeing her sit in the in the hot seat for a minute was pretty awesome. That was <laughs> the best point of the whole day. I was yeah. just like, oh my God, go Loretta. It's it's not often that such a super domestique gets a chance. Um, well, one, to have a crack in a race itself, but in a time trial, because often, depending when the time trial lies in a tour, you know, the DS will say, look, just, you know, tap the legs out. But they gave, um, you know, gave her the green light and said, go for it. And yeah. it must have been a bit of a, a power course, I guess. It was pretty much like a time trialist, tri- time trial specialist type of course, like relatively flat with some technical corners. But you could stay in the in the skis pretty much the entire time. And it was definitely a course for the most aerodynamic and riders who really work on this discipline, which you could tell when you were watching Grace. She looked so fluid on the bike, just like so... You know, like when you're watching a time, I said something like this in my race report, but when you're watching a time trial specialist and you can tell, okay, Mm -hmm. like they're going to win today. And the time I remember it most vividly was Linda Williamson in the world championships in Richmond, where like, I've never seen her look so comfortable on a time trial bike, but you can also see it like whenever Ellen Van Dyke, whenever there's a moto shot of Ellen Van Dyke from the back on her time trial bike. The body just looks so still, and Grace Brown just looked so comfortable out there, like she was just kind of cruising. And yeah, it was a 
a great ride for for her and to take this win after getting second at the world championships is not going to be much (laughs) of a consolation prize but it's still a world tour victory for grace and after kind of a roller coaster of a year i think she will be really happy with it yeah she she came in as the clear favorite to win the stage and and yeah harnessed that uh, that pressure she said she thrived on that pressure and uh felt she said i felt quite confident that i could win today and she did that quite comfortably and yeah like you said i think the it won't make up for the silver medal at worlds but uh yeah to be the favorite and to win the stage and i think bigger than that as well to for her team to have won three of the five stages for the mm-hmm. the week i think that'll be a best a real result of the them. year for the team i yeah. would say We've been kind of hard, I think, on FDJ Suez this year, mostly because they had such an incredible season last year that they've mm. they have had a hard time topping it. And I think going into the year, I especially saw them as being one of the big teams that was going to challenge SC Works and Lidl Trek for that kind of world tour level victories, like just the amount of victories that those teams amass. Although I think we need to talk about how Lidl Trek have had quite a disappointing season this year. Mm. Um, but yeah, FDJ Suez, like they've really come into the end of this season just flying. And I think part of that is that SC Works maybe have burned themselves out a little bit. I mean, obviously like Weebus still looks like she's on flying form, but if you look at like what happened with Marlon Rosser at the world championships and that Demi is now taking a little bit of a step back to kind of just rest a bit, um, at the end of the season, I think that, yeah, maybe SC works has have burned themselves out a tiny bit, but FDJ Suez, I love to see them winning. Cause it's just such an incredible program. Like I talk about it all the time, but I just love <laughs> the way that they, that they take care of their riders. And you can, you could tell like when Sile won the final stage and her and grace, just like kind of <laughs> on a, a pile on the ground, like they just all really care about each other and care about racing for each other. And so it was, it was awesome to see like grace take the win when the team otherwise would have probably been a little bit bummed with the loss of the leader's jersey when Sile, like an incredible TT from her still. She's just not much of a time trialist. She lost 52 seconds to Grace, um, which put her second in the general classification by 17 seconds. And that was always going to be a really hard amount of time to make up on that final stage because there just wasn't a ton of opportunity. Like those final circuits were hard and there were climbs in those circuits that you could take advantage of and we saw her do that but it was still too close to the finish for her to be able to pull back enough time two seconds to be exact so close at the end i think everyone was counting the seconds until (laughs) the bunch crossed the line yeah and i mean she only like she only got that two second margin because she got the bonus seconds from winning the stage and then it was really kind of lucky for Van Vluten that because when Sile attacked and everybody just kind of looked at Van Vluten, like it wasn't, <laughs> it was, she, one, her attack was like, I was cackling a little bit when she attacked because Momstar was going so hard on the front and she was going just a tiny bit faster. <laughs> but like the second that it was her attacking, everyone just looked at Van Vluten like, okay, <laughs> this is on you. 
And the speed in the bunch just plummeted. And like Van Vluten was doing all of the work to try to bridge back with Liana Livert on her wheel, which I just was like, all right, like bold <laughs> strategy here. But then it was the classic Lorraine Weebus as soon as she mm. saw the finish line and started sprinting, all Van Vluten had to do was finish in the wheels. Exactly. So it worked out just perfectly i think like yeah if anybody was watching that like what why is van vluten working why is lorena or why is liana lippert on her wheel is just the sprinters are gonna sprint and that will close the distance for them <laughs> but yep. Yep. it was still just like such a great win from sile to take the second stage of the race for her and also to win on home soil as as a dane was pretty awesome yep can't yeah, argue with that and the, the pouring the pouring rain pouring at the rain. end there as well so good the yeah. the camera shots of uh annual Lau being the last of the breakaway riders you know just absolutely thumping down rain and then she gets caught and then Sile's attacking um uh, yeah just very atmospheric and um Sile made some comment about that in her interview afterwards like oh, welcome <laughs> to Denmark or whatever you know we're Vikings or something yeah something like that yeah <laughs> She's such a character. Her and her interview, like after she won the second stage, the mountain stage was so bland, too. And I was like, oh man, that you know it's a hard effort when Sile can't even give an interview. It's funny with her, like when she's on, she gives some of the greatest interviews, like we've just ever seen in the sport, like hands down, male, female, doesn't matter, best interviews ever. But then other times, and I saw this a bunch at the tour where she wasn't doing as well as she has she's just can be very muted and very understated and very non-animated unanimated as well um it's quite interesting to me that she has those two gears because i don't think i think a lot of people see her as this very animated all the time extroverted person and she does have that gear but I, i think that there's also a lot more to her and it's interesting to see those two sides in the space of one race as well. I know her decently well off the bike and the first gear is kind of who she is normally. Like she's an introvert, doesn't really hang out with people very often. She's, she's pretty quiet. Hmm. Um, she's yeah, very understated. And so I like seeing that side of her. Because I think if she was always putting on that face and, and I mean, it is great for the sport and those interviews are fantastic, but I worry about people expecting that from her at all times, because that would be exhausting for her to live that life and always have that, that mask on. Cause she is really a very quiet person, very, um, focused, very driven. And she, she likes being that, uh, that out. Uh, outgoing kind of like face of women's cycling sometimes but I think for her it's it also is a bit overwhelming at times and so Mm. yeah I love that people get to see the the true version of herself or at least who she is off the bike a little bit when she's on the bike like after the second stage I know I speak for you you as well Abby I'm not sure about you Lauren but I know as as introverts it, it often takes a lot of effort to put yourself out there and to, to be animated and expressive. And you often just do need time afterwards to kind of come down and recoup your energy. So I, I could definitely see that if she is an introvert at heart, that that would take, uh, take a lot out of her to, to be the smiling, bubbly, effervescent person that, 
that we know her through our interviews as. But, I mean, an awesome win for her to win, like, both stages and for Grace to take a stage and then, yeah, Lorena to take two stages. So I think if you're looking at the results only, like, just the stage winners, it might have been not as exciting a race as maybe we'd thought. But, man, were were there some really incredible points in this race. And Celia's attack on the final stage, for me, just kind of wrapped up what was a really awesome five days of racing with not only did we have some very deserving winners, we also had some riders sneak in to the top ten overall that I think are worth keeping an eye on for the future. And one of the great things about a race like this, like after the world, after the tour, when the season is slowing down a little bit and some of the big riders are taking some time away from the bike, is you have riders like Amber Crack able to land third overall on the podium after an incredible time trial and just consistent riding. That's an awesome result for her, the Yumbo Visma rider. And she's been an interesting one to watch for a long time, but this is kind of the first big GC result that we've seen from her. And then uh, Leanna Lippert finished fourth overall, which she's just, I mean, she is Movistar's future next year after Van Vluten retires in just a couple weeks. So pretty interesting to see like where she's going to go from here and kind of, she's in this weird, like no man's land right, right now where she's still working for Anamik, but she sees the future coming and she is the leader <laughs> pretty soon. And so I think for her fourth overall is still like a decent result and grace with her TT win sneaked into snuck, sneaked, snuck into fifth. So yeah. And I mean, still like looking at the top 10, top like 15. So we've got like Tamara Dronova, snuck in there with the 12th overall um she keeps being super consistent a really interesting rider if you didn't see matt's feature on her over the tour de france femme of x swift i highly recommend that you check it out because it was a really awesome piece that he wrote and yeah some interesting ones yeah amber crack is quite interesting to me uh i didn't know much about her and i didn't realize that she was a, a former rower and a world champion actually as a rower um, so which would explain why she's got such a good engine and such a good time trialist. Um, she only took her first pro win just a couple of weeks ago at Le Perigord, um, with a solo win. And I think, yeah, some good signs for her. And like you said, Abby, really cool to see riders like her getting the opportunity to shine as, you know, later in the season. And I'm excited to see what she can do. In, in the years ahead, for sure. She's with uh, Yemo Visma next year as well, I believe. So one to keep an eye on. Which is actually, I don't know if we want to talk about it, but uh, it seems like a few riders are leaving Yemo Visma at the moment. And there's a bit of a discussion online about that. But she's obviously signed through to the end of next year. Um, but yeah, with the transfer season open, there was, I don't know, someone commented and said what's happening with that team at the moment. Is anyone left but Voss? I think that's maybe a little bit over dramatic. There's a lot of riders on that team yeah. that are really happy to be on that team. Rihanna Marcus is obviously thriving in that environment. Um, Anna Henderson really loves that team as well. Like I, I would be shocked if she were to leave. I think like Corinne leaving is something that we probably could have foreseen coming. Um, but I don't think there's been more riders exiting that team than other teams. Um I feel like talking about like Lidl Trek uh, on the heels of this race, kind of some great rides. Like Lizzie looked like she was doing pretty well in the beginning, the first couple stages. And uh, obviously Loretta had a great TT, but Lidl Trek have had like a 
pretty disappointing year as the team that they are with the riders that they have and the budget that they have. They've had, you know, the first couple of years they came onto the scene and they were already winning huge races like Perry Bay, Fam of X Swift and stuff like that. And the women's uh, Lizzie taking the women's tour right after having a baby and everything. But they've this year they've really struggled and I don't know what it is at the team that is um injury and illness I they think have has really they've had some them really year. bad luck I mean like Elisa Balsamo was out for a really long time after crashing in Ride London and that was Longo Borghini yeah Longo Borghini's had one hell of a year just constantly sick and we've not really seen much from Guy Riolini since the Giro she's been um laying low a bit and I think the team made the right call not sending her to the tour but it did mean that you know, we just, yeah, we just haven't seen a ton from them this year. And I'm curious to see what their new signings will mean for the future of the team. They've they've lost some of their core riders. Um, obviously, Taylor Wiles is retiring at the end of the year. And um, I think that it will be interesting to see how the team goes with the new signings that they have announced so far. Um, a lot of them are young riders, like the the Canadian twins that they just announced, which is really exciting. Um, but they're primarily on the mountain bike side. So I'll, I'm curious to see how they're going to transition onto the road, but I don't know. Am, am I like misplaced by being a bit disappointed with how the, the teams race this year? I think it's just circumstantial. Um, you know, you think about their, their big winners. If we look at last year, Elisa Balsamo wearing the world championship jersey. That was last year, 2022. Yes. She won a ton of races first year with, with Trek. And she was, I think, their number one winner. Lizzie Dignan, who has continued to win, has obviously been off on um, maternity leave for a while. She's just getting back to her best again. So I'm sure next year she'll be flying. Ellen Van Dyke, a key player in the team, has been out as well. Uh, that's had a massive impact, I'm sure. Brody Chapman as well. And then, of course, yeah, Brody Chapman's left, uh, sorry, not left, left FDJ to go there, but has had also an awful year with just mm-hmm. injury and illness. And it's it's just She was riding so well for... before she crashed in that early spring classic, and then it's kind of just been a roller coaster since then. I think one for me, one of the big disappointments with was that they didn't take advantage of the new maternity leave rules to fill Ellen's spot with another name because I think that with the amount of riders that they have on the roster, the amount of races that there are in the calendar this year, and the fact that their riders have been sick all year, that that means that that empty spot that Ellen, that they could have filled when Ellen left for maternity leave was very empty. Like, had they filled that role with a rider that could have, obviously they can never replace Ellen Van Dyke, but say they picked up one of the riders that was left high and dry after the B&B hotels fiasco or yeah, any, any rider that like could have been, could have been picked up that from like a lower level team or anything that that would have been, that would have at least taken a little pressure off a couple of the riders that I think that they've massively overworked this season. Um, so I think that that's kind of part of the problem from my eyes. I do think that they will look back on the season uh, and see that there are some positives to come from it. I mean, obviously the emergence of Guy Riolini is a big one. Sharon Van Anroy as well has really stepped up this year with her win at Binder, was it early in the season? Um, and they're both mm-hmm. with uh, 
little trek through 2025. So, yeah, some great young riders to build around in the years to come. Lizzie's been great in the last few months. Uh, and, yeah, they've still won a handful of races as well along the way. So I think overall, yeah, a frustrating season for a bunch of reasons, as we've discussed. But there are positives to take. And I think they'll, you know, after the off-season, they'll come back next year and feel like there's a lot to work for. I think they will be coming in, like, just flying into next season. After all the bad luck this year, you'd think they've they've got it out of the way. So I'm excited to see how that goes. Actually, speaking of maternity leave, it was just mm-hmm. announced on Instagram <laughs> that Julie Leth, what? Julie Leth is pregnant, which is awesome. What? Yeah, Julie Leth is pregnant, and she's she is planning to come back. Her goal is the Madison on the track with Amelie D. Derrickson next year so that's really awesome to see i mean i know like she she's wanted to start a family for some time and uno x has just made it such a integral part of their system that their riders can have a baby and come back i just saw joss loudon in Girona with her tiny 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 baby (laughs) um so really excited for julie and can't wait to see her come back next summer it's really cool this is just I've got a big smile on my face, but it's just crazy to think that this, like, I mean, knock-on effects since Lizzie and Trek, um, you know, she she left SD Works basically because um, they didn't think it was possible to combine the two and for her to come back at the age she was and still be as good, if not better, I would argue, in a lot of ways. Um and there's so many riders now, and it's just amazing to me how quickly they bounce back too. So women are just amazing, women are really. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was what? No, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that when we talk about what we're obsessed with, because I've changed mine already. While it's recording this episode, we won't come full circle. Although I do love the rain. I just have a couple quick riders to talk about really quickly, if I can. Yeah, go for it, please. Uh, Elise Shabby. QOM classification, attacking lots. Always. Big fan. Fifth QOM jersey <laughs> of her career. Just wanted to get that in there. Just love watching she's her race. She's consistent. Yeah, yeah, she's so good. Uh, and I mentioned her earlier, but um, so good to see Sarah Gigante back racing. Her first race in a full mm. year. Um, she hasn't really talked about uh, why she wasn't racing. She The, the most I've heard is uh, health health complications and you know whether or not she wants to talk about that that's totally on her and uh you know we'll respect her privacy obviously um but just great to hear that she's doing well and back racing and i know she sometimes listens to this podcast so if you're listening sarah great to (laughs) great to see you racing (laughs) again and um yeah hope you're doing great (laughs) um yeah definitely awesome to see sarah back back in the race and races and yeah hope that we get to see her back on the road a lot in the coming coming months or I guess next year because the season's almost up. We've got GP to Plue under a new name that's very long and I will know it by the next time we record this episode because uh, it's not the same as it was last year. They changed it last year and then they've changed it again this year. Um, so that is coming up this weekend, one of my favorite one days and is usually a kind of build up to the world championships. It's the last last one day before the world championships usually, but because the world was earlier this year, it's not. So I think that that will open it up to some really exciting racing from some teams that are maybe lacking a little bit this year. Um, 
Maybe maybe we'll see another Sila win actually, but check escapecollective.com for uh, for a preview on that and some wheel talk podcast picks. And should should we talk about what we're obsessed with? Yes, you want to go first. I want to hear it. Well, I was going to say I'm obsessed with the rain because as anyone who's watched the Vuelta will know, it is or the the Andorra World Cup this weekend, which was bonkers <laughs> we were on the ground for literally on the ground in the dirt for the women's race on sunday and it was just oh my god the mud i just felt so bad for everybody <laughs> racing and um but anyway i was gonna say i was obsessed with the rain but then we were talking about maternity leave and women, women coming back love i'm always obsessed with babies my god they are so cute but I've been watching for the last week, every single day at seven o'clock, we turn on the world athletics championships and we've been watching all of the track track and field. And it's been just like so cool to watch. And I am so, 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 so obsessed with the sprinters on the American side. We've, um, there's obviously Shakiri Richardson, who's like just a character and is just so exciting, but there's some other sprinters that are just so incredible to watch. And I've like spent the week just like scoping their Instagrams and stalking them and just like, they're so cool. And I just think, think they're amazing, but there's the, the women's four by 400 was the, one of the final events on Sunday evening. And one of the women who ran for GB just had a break to have a baby and has come back stronger than ever. And there was a post-race interview that they did, uh, the four of them on Eurosport. And they the, the three women on the team with her were just praising the fact that she's made it it's it is it's not just in cycling that women are seeing that it's possible to have a baby and come back to sport and that she's one of the one of the women pioneering that in in track and field and that she was able to go and have her son and come back and win a bronze medal at the at the world championships in the four by 400 was really really cool to see and just the the amount that the team backed her for that was also really cool and I'm just like I'm totally obsessed with with track and field <laughs> and like the women on the track, my God, they are so cool. <laughs> the, um, there's this Dutch girl, Femke Bol. Holy shit. Okay. If you, if you haven't watched any of the athletics world championships, just go on YouTube and look up the four by 400 and Femke Bol, who is, <laughs> she's a hurdler. She won gold in the 400, the 400 meter hurdles, I think, but she ran, um, the, the anchor position in the relay and holy crap it was unreal i didn't think the dutch could could actually run i made a joke to toms about how um the one sport that i watched that the dutch aren't good at and then they went and won the four by four (laughs) (laughs) spoiler but anyway that's what i'm obsessed with (laughs) you go matt i'm i'm deciding uh Got a few things. Uh, mine is kind <laughs> of a, an attempt to not be obsessed with something, uh, which sounds weird, <laughs> but it, it kind of circles is it back. Is Healy? No, just kidding. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not Maddie Healy. Um, uh, it circles back to a conversation we had a couple months ago about deleting social media and how nice that must be. And as we talked at the start, I was away uh, on holiday for the last week and I used that as an opportunity to try and 
delete the last remnants of social media off my phone. So yeah, I haven't had Facebook on there for a while. I deleted Twitter, I deleted Instagram, deleted Reddit. I took work Slack off my phone. I made sure I put my phone at night in a different room to where I was sleeping, really making a concerted effort to try and detox myself from uh, unhelpful dopamine hits throughout the all hours of the day and night. Um, and it just feels really good. <laughs> it just... I knew it would, but it's just so hard to extricate yourself. And I always kind of told myself that I needed to be on Instagram and Twitter for work stuff. And look, I probably do, but I'm going to try and make an effort to do that when I log onto the computer at work, uh, rather than just having it on my phone constantly and using Instagram to fill a gap of three seconds while waiting for the microwave to, to finish or whatever it might be. Um, so that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, I'm hoping that by putting it out into the world, I kind of, uh, yeah, make myself do it. Held accountable, accountable exactly right. So it feels <laughs> next week I'm going to ask. Yeah, how it's please going. do. Um, so it feels really good, and I, I want to continue that because I think, uh, yeah, I think we'd probably all agree that less social media in our lives would probably be a good thing. Yeah, I mean, like I said to you guys, it would be a bit tricky with your work, um, and the way that I've dealt with it with my work is like you were saying, Matt. Um, I just use the laptop for social media or I try mm. to and then delete the apps on the phone because I don't necessarily need it because you can schedule everything um on the desktop so yeah for that for that reason or you can look at things as well if you need to post um for work reasons that's kind of how you mm. do it but it is a hard thing and I see my partner like I've said he's a passive user so he just looks at stuff and he doesn't, he never puts anything out into the world. He's just consuming, hmm. uh, which I find irritating, particularly <laughs> if he's in bed and he decides to to scroll on his phone and I'm like, stop it, I'm reading my book. I can see the blue light. Um, but yeah, that that's definitely difficult. I've been spending a bit of time on my phone um, because I'm a bit obsessed with, obsessed with Vinted at the moment. I like buying secondhand baby clothes on there um children's stuff all that kind of stuff maternity wear as well because you only wear it very short term so i've been looking at that and it's yeah i don't know people in australia won't be familiar with it because i think it's european vintage it's really big in belgium and france um and i'm selling stuff on there too so i'm looking at my phone a bit more now <laughs> with all the notifications and and whatnot that's super cool i have a rule where if i buy a new piece of clothing i have to replace like i have to take something out of the closet oh that's good i like that yeah because i mean otherwise it gets full very quickly you'd like vintage and you have really nice stuff oh, so you could probably probably get a, a good buck for yeah, it yeah i wonder if it it exists in andorra i bet i could find some like wild stuff on there yeah well i've had people in i think one spanish person i'm sending something to italy today hmm. Um, so there's a few more European countries that are into it, but it's definitely, I'll look it up. Definitely a fun thing. You'd yeah, like it. I, I really love like, so Andorra is obviously like a shopping destination for mm -hmm. a lot of people, which means that like around this time of year, they have like crazy sales and stuff. So last one year ago, I went to like a couple of the baby stores and got some stuff on sale, including like, <laughs> Lila has Didn't you get a Stella, Lila McCart Stella McCartney because it was like on <laughs> in like the bargain bin and I was like, um, 
There's like Stella McCartney and it has uh, it has mushrooms all over it in the bargain bin. So Lila <laughs> will be dressed in designer sweaters. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's like it's nuts being up here. It would be so cool to try to try to get some vintage stuff or like thrifted stuff because there's just so much con- consumage that happens around me and it makes my skin crawl. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of people that come here just to buy cigarettes. And alcohol, yeah. right, as well? Or just cigarettes? Cigarettes and alcohol and really fancy bags. And Dora is like this weird place, right? Because you've got the beautiful nature sort of stuff that we see that, you know, you go and do your trail running and there's that side of it. But then there's that, yeah, like. It depends where in the country you, you are. Because if you're in like Andorra La Vella or like Pasta La Casa, those are the two main hubs that are close to borders. So like Pasta La Casa is really close to the French border. And then Andorra La Vella is only two hours from Barcelona. So like really close to Spain um, to like many people who live in Spain. So a lot of people come up on the weekend from that area to like buy their tax-free cigarettes and alcohol. Um, So the weekends will just be swarming. And then the weeks are like beautiful because it's so quiet throughout the whole country. And it is just like where we are, we're, we don't really ever go to La Vea or Pasta La Casa. We're in this like incredible little valley that doesn't have like any shopping <laughs> or grocery stores and um, like one really awesome little coffee shop, but we're just surrounded by mountains. So it's like, it is a really weird country and it, it's only like 40 minutes from one border to the other. So it's like really not big at all, but <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. The Mount, the World Cup this weekend was super cool. Seeing like a ton of people there to just watch the bike racing and, yeah. I'm so jealous, and not for the weather. And the downhills cancelled, yeah, right? Yeah, because of wind. But I heard Post-break. from people on the ground yeah. that it was like a lot of, a lot to to do about nothing, because the wind wasn't okay. actually that bad. But they just like preemptively got nervous. Yeah, but the Vuelta is coming through today. All the roads are shut. <laughs> There's like two roads in the country and they're closing them both down for the race. <laughs> Bloody bike riders. Yeah. <laughs> they, they're so entitled, you know, like they just think they can come in. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to pick Lila up from daycare and we're going to walk over to the the main climb of the day and watch everyone ride by and that'll be sweet. It's only like the, the first climb, the Ordino climb is like, 200 meters from the door of her daycare so we're just gonna kind of like make our way over It'd be cool and there's actually sun coming out now anyway this is a good episode to wrap it up <laughs> we'll be back next week to talk about gp to plue or whatever it's called these days I feel the same way about the the men's race that was going on over the week. That's usually the Edico tour, but they've changed the name like 10 times. And now I'm just like, no, it's just the Edico tour. I don't know. I can't keep track of when you change the name this many times. Um, but yeah. I think Plue will just be it's Plue. Just like, but, it, but that's not even like, it's still in Plue. So technically mm-hmm. calling it the GP to Plue, even if that's not the name, it's still like, it's still a Grand Prix-ish that's in Plue. Oh, I love this race so much. It was one of my favorite races that I did when I was racing because the course is so fun. And anyway, we'll be back next week to talk about it, hopefully with Gracie, but thanks you two for your time and for the chats. 
Have a great week.